0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. If this is your first time listening and are unfamiliar with Bethel, one of our favorite catchphrases for ourselves is We may be a small country church, but we do own a computer and even know how to turn it on. If you had listened to our podcast in the past, then you are probably wondering, Who is this noob? Since the beginning of BRH, Tara Yerke has produced and hosted the podcast. This year, however, God called her to the trenches to be a leader within our Awana program. We send many prayers her way and thank her greatly for her willing service in Iwana so who am I my name is Molly Kingston and I am exceedingly excited yet equally anxious to be your new producer and panelist here in BRH For the rest of the panel this year, we have our two tenured members, Pastor Ben Kingston of Bethel Baptist Church and Dr. Gavin Hooks, Deacon of Bethel Baptist Church. And last, but certainly not least, we have Ryan Mayberry, bricklayer and video game slayer. Now I'm going to let them give you a little introduction of themselves, starting with Pastor Ben Kingston, or how I like to call him, dad.
1: There you go. So uh, born and raised throughout Arkansas, my dad was a pastor. We moved every two years. With one exception, Jonesboro, Arkansas, we lived there for five years before we moved to another church, so uh, to say that I was basically forced to have an A-plus personality would be an understatement, and uh, the Lord called me to preach when I was 20 years old, the day after my 20th birthday, that helps me keep up with my anniversary, Uh, then I married Dawn Kingston in 1980, no, let me think, 1992, and then, of course, Molly came in this world in 1993. Uh, Benjamin came into the world in uh, sometime in 98, I think, and then uh, Tony came into the world in 2002, and so uh, I've been pastoring Bethel since December 97, so 25 years will be completed in December of this year. Uh, just a, a, a tremendous ministry. I love this place. I love Missouri. When I was raised in Arkansas, I thought that I would never leave it, and uh, now I couldn't be more grateful and thankful that I did. <laughs> so I uh, love the ministry here. I do believe this is my assignment. Uh, until he shows me the next assignment, and uh, I believe that has bore out uh, in how the ministry is going. All praise, of course, to his glory. Uh, I put on here for each guy to say, or in person, to say something significant about themselves uh, when it comes to just maybe trivia. Uh, my brother in law to my left here is partly to blame for one of my hobbies, which is maple syrup. But uh, that's probably one of the more interesting things about me is that I enjoy hobbies. Uh, It's downtime, and and it allows me to let some stress melt away. Spent two hours uh, on a tractor today mowing a field in preparation for our hillbilly days, but I call it tractor therapy. Uh, The stress just kind of jiggles out of you, you know, uh, on that thing. So uh, I really absolutely enjoyed it. Brother Gavin.
2: Uh, my name is Gavin Hooks. I, I'm the senior member on this panel. Yes, you so, are. Just FYI. Um, don't act like it. But
1: 82 years old, you don't look bad for I that at all. I sound pretty good.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm getting around pretty good for that, too. There's a, a, it kind of makes me feel better about this. Uh, yeah, I'm amen. Doing yeah. Pretty well. uh, I, I work at Big Bend Veterinary Clinic. It's a clinic in St. Louis. I'm a small animal veterinarian. I, this is my second or third career. Uh, it's the one that stuck. Uh, was a youth pastor worked in a um, optics optics uh, industry making um, sold microscopes surgical microscopes research microscopes everything that had glass in it um, for a while for about ten years and then went back to vet school and uh, been at the same place now for twenty two years that 's a record lived in the same house for twenty odd years that 's a record so i've been coming to Bethel all my life uh, at at with short interruptions all right yeah, we've got four kids one one baby in heaven uh, the rest are out of the nest i think that's it all
3: right um ryan mayberry uh youngest guy here uh, not too exciting of a life i'm a bricklayer <laughs> for glacier masonry <laughs> oh, that's about all i do i've <laughs> uh, been doing that for about six years now um you got a little hobby going on in the basement. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I got a few video games, a few uh, arcade machines and whatnot. So that's, I've decided I uh, can only afford one hobby and if you're gonna do something, do it right. So d- there you <laughs> go, right.
1: there okay. you go. So. I do not subscribe to that, but no. <laughs> you, nothing, amen, measures. that's
3: right.
0: Okay, last, uh, it's me, I'm Molly Kingston. Um, oh goodness, what am I supposed to say again? So I have been going to Bethel also most of my life. Um, like Uncle Gavin said, with some interruptions as well. I um, was saved at five, and my dad has been the pastor for most of my life. Well, all of my life, he's been a pastor um, at Bethel for most of it. I work at Ralph Blevins Elementary as a paraprofessional. I work with um, special education students, and I have been there for three years, and I think I'll be there for at least three more. I really enjoy working with the kids there. Um, Something significant about me is Music is my passion. I've been playing piano since I was six um, and then singing uh, since I was born. (laughs) So,
1: Very good. Uh, Bradley, do you have a microphone back there? No, I don't. All right. Well, we'll let you introduce yourself next week. Uh, Brad is our sound guy, an integral part of this. You would not be listening to this right now type thing if it wasn't for Brad. So we're very appreciative of him. Uh, So um, an interesting thought here. Everybody on this panel is kin to each other, uh, one by marriage with Ryan. Uh, well, actually, me and Gavin by, by marriage. marriage. Uh, the joke with Gavin was um, I just wanted to be kin to him. I didn't care who I married because I had dated oh, his sister calls? for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we don't ever tell that with either one of them present, uh, so it's important. Uh, but nonetheless, and, of course, Molly's my daughter, so uh, no, you don't have to be kin to me to be on this panel as much as it just has worked out that way. Uh, I didn't know that Ryan spoke to people till about two years ago, and so Ryan has really uh, quote-unquote come out of uh, his shell, if you will, and doing great. Uh, you did excellent last year, Ryan, and we're looking forward to this year. So uh, basically, we're going to uh, just dive in, uh, and th- this is going to all pretty much be introduction tonight. Uh, we've introduced you to ourselves, and now we're going to introduce you uh, to our first, what will be our first segment each Wednesday night. Got anything you want to say along those lines, Molly?
0: About our first segment? Mm-hmm. Um, so, our first segment, we are going to be covering verses um, and hopefully eventually most of the book of Ephesians. Uh, this oh. book was suggested. Oh, we'll, we'll e- come back. To okay, it. okay. This book was suggested by me, myself personally because um, I heard that it was a very encouraging and uplifting book, and I felt like it was something that we could definitely dwell on during these times um, in history that we are ex- experiencing right now. Um, and listening to... Oh, Wait a minute, I, is
1: there something going on?
0: Oh. <laughs> no, just, sleep? Just, a, just a few things, nothing too serious.
1: Okay, all um, right.
0: you, Yeah, so I felt like that would be coma? good.
1: <laughs> we, we're actually gonna get back to that because uh, I skipped the part where each of us would share something uh, important or significant about our summer. Uh, but was there anything else you wanted to say about Ephesians before we go back to that? Molly?
0: I was trying to remember, I was listening to John McArthur. Um I listened to about 15 minutes of one of his sermons on that today. Um, and he called Ephesians the bank of the Christian and how it contains all of the treasures. Um, it tells us all the treasures that we can find in God and then also how to use those treasures in our life.
1: Very good. The first... Sermon that I heard about Ephesians that basically introduced to me what you just said, Molly, was Adrian Rogers, and he preached uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention when he was the president. And he's in heaven now, so this was 20, 25, maybe 30 years ago. Uh, VHS was how I listened to it. That gives you any idea. And uh, he preached on Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 1 through 13. And we're going to be diving into that. We may get to the first couple of verses today. But essentially, that's exactly what it does. It tells you what you have in the bank of heaven and how to access it. It tells you who you are in Christ. Uh, This was the first place that I ever heard about position. You know, my position in Christ. Now, Colossians goes even deeper with that, but Ephesians is going to introduce us to that and the such. So, before we dive any deeper into that let let's see uh, Molly what what happened to you this summer that would be significant that you'd want to share
0: well, I feel like there's quite a bit that happened uh, well, one. this summer but the most significant thing uh, before you interrupted me was I was able to take a trip to Ohio um and I went to a it's called the Alive Music Festival and it was a four-day, three-night experience where you camp, and then from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. or midnight, you are listening to Christian speakers and Christian artists um, on stages outside um, in you know, in nature. And so it was an amazing experience. I got to, um, I was introduced to some new artists. I was reintroduced to artists that I had been sleeping on. And uh, so it was a really really fun experience, um, as well as the fact that I borrowed the tent from Benjamin that I used, and he forgot to give me the fly or the rain cover, and so I had to sleep in my car for th- uh, three of the nights, now, two of the nights.
1: So the whole thing of Christian Woodstock, was that just your yeah,
0: terminology? That was my terminology. Oh, okay. I, I thought it they the Christian actually Woods. called that. No, that's what gotcha. I called it, because I'd cool. been looking for one practically yeah. my entire life. Where was it again? It was in Ohio, uh, way far a, away over there, almost by Pennsylvania.
2: So at a, <clears throat> excuse me, at a campground? Was uh-huh. it like a Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was a huge campground. I think it's family owned and family uh, operated. Ra- operated. Yeah.
1: Cool. How many acres would you say the whole thing took up?
0: Maybe I don't know. A lot. There's a <laughs> lot. Two hundred maybe. Right. Uh, there was a huge lake on it as well. Yeah. Um, something really cool. Maybe like five years, ten years down the road for Merrimack Church campus, they had a obstacle course, a floating obstacle course on the lake.
1: Ooh, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Floating obstacle we got to get the lake first. Sounds like a good way to drown. (laughs) Ryan, what about about you? Something significant this summer?
3: Uh, Well, not a whole lot significant. Just kind of the, uh, I feel like there's some significance in just the endurance through the mundane. But uh, I guess the main highlight would be that I just started uh, taking over the young adults Sunday school class. So that's a new experience. Amen. Very good. I heard you did well. Wasn't last Sunday your first Sunday? Uh, This second.
1: Second. Cool. 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 Yeah, I heard it went well. Good, brother Gavin.
2: So a couple, couple of uh, bucket list things. One bucket list thing, and the other was just one of Denise's uh, dreading me finding another hobby. I found another hobby this summer. I don't want to talk about that right now, but
1: neither does she. Yeah.
2: Lord help her. Um, We we went. Fishing offshore, I guess it's called inshore fishing, mm-hmm. and, and caught some shark this summer. That was kind of a bucket oh, list cool. thing of mine. So on our vacation trip, we got to go fishing off the coast of uh, South Carolina. It was just did, a great Did experience. you catch a shark? We did. We caught awesome. several sharks.
1: Yeah. Cool. How big?
3: Yeah, yeah not, not very big. Not very big, yeah, but a shark not nonetheless. sharks, yeah. Right. Like the, what, well, was like three feet long. Maybe. Yeah, so three
1: footer. Any of them have a leg or an arm or a finger hanging out? No body no, parts. No, okay. No. I was just checking no. Uh, Have y'all heard that they're releasing Jaws again, the original Jaws? No, I'm serious. They're releasing the original Jaws to play on theater again. Hmm. Uh, Mike Wirtz said that. Mike's the movie guy. So if he said it, it's going to happen. It's got to be true. (laughs) It's got to be true. So uh, mine, and and I'm not going to go into great detail, and all of you know what I'm going to refer to. Uh, We had an incident happen at the very start of summer in our church in first service. And it was very ugly, as far as I am concerned, Uh, and God worked through it uh, and the such. And, uh, you know, long story short, a brand new visitor was called out on something during the service. It was about as a nightmarish experience as a pastor could ever imagine. Or a
2: first-time (laughs) attender.
1: Or a first-time attender. That's exactly right. It has eradicated the words, is there anything else to come before us, you know, from my vocabulary. I did say it Sunday morning, but that was a a slip up. Yeah, old habits. And it's been three, maybe four months. So I've done pretty good up to last Sunday. But praise the Lord, we managed that. All that said, three Sundays later was our homecoming service and Phil Waldrop came. And we've got a banner, which obviously this is radio, so you can't see it, but... People love people that love people was his message. And he gave a challenge at the end of the message. He preached about Paul, how Paul loved people. And I think it was Romans 16 that he used And In Romans 16, Paul just goes through a list of people that he calls out to encourage and to thank and all that. And, and he just brought up an amazing message on how Paul loved people for God. And at the end of the, in the uh, invitation, he said, if you will commit that you're going to ask God to help you to love people the way Paul loved people, I want you to come and shake this preacher's hand, meaning me, and tell him that. I've made a commitment today to ask God to love, help me to love people the way Paul loved people. Every person in that first service, maybe with the exception of a few, came and told me that. Halfway through, I was blubbering. I mean, I was just absolutely bawling. And my daughter knows that's not my personality. I'm not an easy crier, even though I do cry, you know, these days. Long story there. But uh, I I was being lovingly, wonderfully devastated by the Spirit during that invitation. We have anywhere from 60 to 90 come to our first service we have anywhere from anywhere from 80 to 150 that comes to our second service. And I'm thinking, wow, that second service is going to be mind-blowing, you know? Maybe a quarter of the crowd in second service came. So now I'm thinking, oh, land sakes, what's wrong with all these people? <laughs> you know? And now I'm human too. So I worked through that quickly. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I know these people. What's the difference? What's the difference? And during our normal lunch together, our our entire family, we're kind of a, a throwback to the 80s, maybe even 60s. The entire Burnett family comes together, and we eat lunch. During that lunch, I feel like the Holy Spirit made it very clear to me. The first service saw with their eyeballs what not loving people looked like. And they made up their mind, we're not ever letting that happen again. And so they they committed. And I, I'm a firm believer that everyone in the second service committed. They just stayed in their pew, and that's fine, our chair in this case. And so uh, that was significant to me, and I, I thank the Lord. I haven't gotten over that, you know, and, and so when I pinned those words, let's each one of us give something significant. That's what came up. We've got the banner now, people love people that love people, and I believe God is honoring that. Uh, and, and I'm thrilled to say that that person that was called out, they have been back. Uh, Because I I did everything but give them $100 after the service. (laughs) And if I'd have had it on me, I probably would have done that too. Just begging them, please forgive us. This is not us. I I don't know what happened. So on and so forth. Uh, So anyway, uh, and and I told you most of tonight's going to be introductions. So uh, Molly, I am going to kick it back to you. Let's see what the panelists have to say about Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 4.
0: Okay, well, I think I have talked um, enough about Ephesians right now. Uncle Gavin, do you have anything to add?
2: To, to the to passage? Ephesians. The Chapter yeah, 1, so, 1 through 4. So my take from it was very similar to what you were saying, that the, it was the treasure trove of the Christian, but I, I thought of it more like the, um, the welcome wagon, the, when you get into a neighborhood, uh, somebody comes to your house with a basket full of goodies and um, some notes about the neighborhood. And, or at least and, they used to. Houston, yeah, I've never actually benefited from that, but um, my my understanding is that's how it was done. But that's what this strikes me as before
1: garages a, and, and automatic door shutters. Yeah, and, you yeah know. so you
2: could just go right to your house without that's being right. seen or talking that's to anybody. Right. Yeah, but uh, that's how it struck me as uh, the welcome item for Christians to uh, enjoy the resources um, that that were being delivered to them. So, or that that came with moving into this community.
3: I don't really have a whole lot to add. That was a very good uh, synopsis.
1: Well, so let's read it real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And yes, and it just goes on and on. Now, that's wonderful stuff. But when you back up and you read Acts chapter 19, which we will do that most likely next week, Acts chapter 19 tells you the firestorm that happened at Ephesus. Uh, Chapter 19 in Acts covers almost three years, period. The first two years, uh, Paul is just tearing it up, winning people to Christ. He preaches for three months in a row at the synagogue, quickly basically gets shown the door there. But with the people that he's already persuaded, he works with them, uh, and they become Christians, and they become discipled Christians. And before you know it, the flames of the gospel, the way, are just... I mean, they're just igniting. So much so that two, two and a half years later, Demetrius, who has made his living off of selling statues for Diana and other people that they worshipped at the time, and not people, obviously, but fake and false gods, uh, he, he's been impacted. And he gets basically the union together that make these little idols, and he tells them, the way is stealing our way of life. They're stealing our wealth. And it becomes a firestorm. Uh, the Christians had gathered together previous to this, and they had burnt and destroyed everything that was not godly uh, and pointed people to God. They had destroyed their idols. Well, this fired them up. And they basically almost had a full-blown riot. Uh, they had pulled a few Christians out of their homes, and who knows what they were going to do to them. Uh, And they were looking for Paul, and Paul was being hid at the time. I mean, it was a mess. And so Paul got out of there with his life. But that's the backdrop of what he's telling these people. You know, these folks aren't necessarily living in the lap of luxury and everything going their way. They desperately need to hear a good word. And Paul is telling them that, yes, you gave up everything on this side, but you've got everything you need on the other side and God's got the ability to give you what you need on this side, and so I just wanted to throw that in. We'll dive deeper next week in nine, in chapter nineteen, just to give the backdrop here, and we'll go. I mean, pretty much phrase by phrase is just dripping with meaning.
2: Yeah, and you know, just I was just skimming over Act chapter, chapter nineteen there where you're talking about it. It, it just re establishes foundation that Ephesus was a center of um, idolatry. Yep, and, and it w- was an area where people had many different beliefs, believed in many different gods, had different cultures, different customs. If you think that the Bible's not applicable to today's circumstances, you've left left behind a really good resource. Amen. Uh,
1: Part of me wonders, too, that, that very first phrase, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, was probably a little bit of a zinger. Not that he meant it as that, but there was some... Uh, you know, controversy as to whether or not Paul was an apostle. Because, you know, Judas did what he did. And so, I truly do believe, by the will of God, they drew straws and came up with an apostle there in in Acts chapter 2, Marcus, Mm -hmm. but Marcus is never heard of again. And then God calls Paul, and I believe he's an apostle. Uh, But but there were some that, that doubted that. You know, and such. And so, anyway, like I said. So, we,
2: it, were apostles limited to 12?
1: I, no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm Mr. saying Christ. there was just controversy at the time. Gotcha. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I think they were limited to Bible times, and we can get into that deeper. Because yeah. there are some people that call themselves apostles today. I, I do not believe that is a title that is any longer used. So, that gets us to, and I don't know how we're doing on time, we're, we're doing, doing real good. close. Do you all have an I'm just saying?
3: I actually do. Let's hear it. I actually do. Yes. Let's hear it, right? I'm just saying having a nice car is an outdated status symbol. It doesn't make any sense anymore because uh, I'm not real sharp with the history on it, but I believe the Model T came out in 1908 and then shortly after the assembly line came about and then cars were available to the middle class basically. So it was 100 years ago that everyone started being able to afford cars. And nowadays, anyone can take out a loan for anything, basically. Right. So it just doesn't make any sense to have ha- owning a nice car as a status symbol. Very
1: good.
0: And in some cases, they, last, uh, they don't last near as long as the older cars. Yep. So sometimes it's better mm. to get an older one.
1: Somebody's been spending time with Dave Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and wisely so. Uh, a- amen. Amen. And I, you know, I have always taken the approach, if God has blessed you to a point that you can afford. Oh, yeah, and I'm not saying you should never buy. That's right. If if God has blessed you to the point that you can afford to lose what it loses when it drives off the showroom floor, you know, may the Lord bless you and, and may your tribe increase. I never have felt like I could afford that. Uh we, we are getting to a stage of our life with both of us working that we can afford one that's four or five years old, you know. Someone else has taken that hit. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and speaking
3: of Dave Ramsey, a lot of the studies that I've heard from him, are that you know, that's what most millionaires do. They don't buy brand new. They buy correct. four years old. So. Correct, yeah.
1: But I believe the heart of your, I'm just saying, is absolutely correct. It's an outdated status symbol, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you can argue that these right here are mm-hmm. the more, the and I'm holding a phone in my hand for those that can't see, um, be- because everybody's got to have one of these. And, you know, that, that brings us back to the whole Revelation thing. Back in 1980, everybody was wondering how could the book of Revelation say that everyone will see the Antichrist at the same time, essentially, that's referred to. Well, now, it's easy to believe right. now. You know, we're, we're watching it on our feed, you know. Our brother Gavin, in you got one a, of
2: our, our missionaries was talking about how in the Philippines, in the most remote area of the Philippines, one of the ways he witnesses to him is to have a charging a charge station, station. For, yeah,
0: for phones, yeah. <laughs> they Al- they Al- come to him. Government gives them the phone.
2: Government gives the phone, yeah. but, but where's the electricity? Yeah. So he set up a
1: solar station, mm-hmm. and they come and they charge their phone. That's ingenious. Hear the gospel. He shares the gospel with them. And they're getting saved. Really, Gavin, you got an I'm Just Saying?
2: Yeah, did you hear about that actor that fell through the floorboards there at the, one of the theaters in Branson? Did you hear no. That? Everybody was really worried about him, but it turns out it was just a stage he was going through. So. <laughs> what? Wait, for the wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I knew Is this I a the joke. dad joke Eyes segment? Rolling. I thought it was oh an I'm Just
1: Saying. That's awesome. I, and when you started, I thought, oh, here we go. Here, here we go. I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying, guys, and I'm coming up with this on the fly because I, I put it on there and I failed to come up with one. Uh, it's September the 14th.
2: Day before.
1: Tomorrow morning, I will be flinging a prayer and an arrow <laughs> at an unsuspecting deer if it walks within 15 yards of me. <laughs> Otherwise, it's safe. And probably it probably saved 15 yards. <laughs>
2: it's the arrows that need to be that, Yeah, amen to that.
1: <laughs> Molly, you got an I'm just saying? no shame if you don't.
0: I'm going to say no tonight. I'm just here to experience this as hey, my first amen.
1: night. Amen. So now we are to a mystery topic. Molly, do you have a way to figure out who gets to go?
0: Oh, I did, but then I didn't get it ready. Oh, so uh, no, I don't, well, but we can just what
1: Tara do, always we can do? Uh, we can just do. Mystery topic, oh, like
0: a, how between they, one how and you, 10. Oh, but I was just usually me, 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 mo, catch to So if you always make a pay, $50 every day, my mama told me you Haven't are not Haven't done this one in it. a while. Uncle Gavin. All
2: right. Is it my mystery topic or it's, I'm it's out? It's you. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> 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 my mystery topic is uh, this constant debate. It just grates on me, this debate about faith versus science. And you always get this condescending comment from the science side. Oh, they're, they're, nothing they say is worth hearing because they're, it's all based on faith. When almost everything they do has an element of faith in it. Yeah. They have to have faith in the laws of logic. They have to have faith that potentially the experiment they're setting up will be successful. They have to design things with faith of it uh, being executed correctly. Um, so, there's a little bit of faith involved in everything, but... Well, evolution
1: kind of requires
2: a ton of enormous faith. Enormous. Blind to faith, you could argue. And the all faith requires evidence. All science requires evidence. Um, and I, I'm not sure if there is any belief or idolatry, idolatrous belief out there that requires no faith, right. no, no evidence, I mean. Um, but Christianity requires some evidence, and, and it offers evidence to, to persuade people that it's true. Science does the same thing. It puts out the evidence to, to persuade people that, for instance, the Big Bang Theory is through there. Here's the evidence we have. And Christianity does the same. So there's, it, when they couch the argument in that you can't take anything serious that comes from faith, and the things that they're starting to uncover affirm or are or, or proofs for the faith in an in a all-powerful wise God or wise designer, however you want to put it. Um, th- there's, a, there's coming a conflict in their thinking here when they realize that all the things that we have proven so far are pointing towards a, a very powerful and highly intelligent being, or power that started this whole thing to spinning. The logic says that if if something has a beginning, it has a cause, and now they've proven that the universe has a beginning, so it has to have a cause. And if in that uh, event, all space, time, matter, and energy is created in that e- event, then what was before, it has to be something out of those realms. It has to be something that's not uh, physical energy, matter, space, or time. It's something something that outside of that realm. So science has pushed us right to the threshold of the proof of God, if you want to call it that. But then they, then they on the other hand, say, if you think there's a God, if you think there's something, an, an unseeable being... Um, then, then you've lost. You really don't have any relevance or re, or a um, right to say anything uh, relevant about life, for the cause of life, the reason for life, the how we started, the origin of life. Um, so th- this debate that goes on and on, it, it's a false debate. First of all, it's it's meant to shut people of faith up, right. and to make you feel stupid if you say anything, when the very things that they're uncovering are. They're uncovering it because the laws of logic exist and they existed before they did they, they are um, laws that predate the creation of the universe and they use those to prove their theories or to prove their, make their experiments set their experiments up so When logic leads you to the fact that there has to be some being that's powerful and intelligent in, in the design and in the um, working out of the universe and everything in it, y- you have abandoned uh, reason or, or logic. You've abandoned that. Um, so anyway, that's well, all I could say. What
1: were the four things that Ravi always said that every person has to oh, answer?
2: Uh, so origin, origin, morality, morality. Purpose. Purpose in uh, destiny? Is it destiny or
1: future? Yeah. Future destiny. Yeah. Uh, Because that's what I thought of. What listening to you, you know, is that uh, everybody needs to determine and decide for themselves what they believe about origin. How did I get here? Because you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. How did I get here? Why am I here? Purpose. You know, is going to work. Making money and, quote, unquote, enjoying life, all there is to this life.
2: Uh, yeah, in their mind, if you're smart, that is. Right. But, then, but it's not livable. Right. If all you live for is money, it's just not livable. Correct. And, and it doesn't
1: satisfy. Um, I actually have been listening to some Dave Ramsey stuff, and that he hammers on that. You know, uh, he said one of the most fascinating things about millionaires is that very few of them are happy.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: but right. the reason they made yeah. their money was cuz they thought it would make them happy mm. and they got their money and they're still not happy because happiness comes from something other than money. Yeah. Uh, m- what did he say? Money makes you more of what you already are. So if you're already miserable, yeah. it just makes you more miserable.
2: I mean, can you <laughs> multiply yeah. your misery to, to sell right.
1: out? Yeah. To right. sell out to making money cuz I know that'll make me happy and then it doesn't? <sighs> yeah.
0: What's left? What's left? Well, you can say that about anything that people chase you, after that is bet. outside of God. Yeah, you. Except my uh, hobbies. <laughs> oh no 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 no! I think it's just the same. <laughs> I'm missing. <laughs> it
1: reminds
3: me too. I've been listening. I listened to a lot of podcasts throughout the week, and on one of them, I don't remember what magazine it was or the lady's name, but she had this uh, article basically saying that she lived her in her twenties and thirties um, as provocative as she wanted to, slept with whoever she wanted to, and that basically, and in the end, she found out that that wasn't right and uh, it was not fulfilling at all. But then toward the end, she was still unwilling to turn towards the opposite of that and the most common sense approach and said instead of doing this, we need to do more of this to solve her problem. So regardless, whatever the situation is, you gotta be willing to make a change in yourself right. or you're just, it's, it's not gonna click.
1: Well, John Maxwell's definition of insanity, to do the same things you've been doing and expect different results uh so seven yeah we're close um any other comment about science versus faith science versus faith
0: i was just going to say that i think it's very sad what has happened to the science community as a whole um you know at its start it was to simply understand the world around us and even to fit in how we understood god and how God made things happen and how things work in his way but now it is to disprove him to completely write him out of nature and its laws and so in in, um, a podcast that I listened to a while ago he had gone to college to get a science degree and and I think he had he got it eventually but he had to do um, a paper and do an experiment to write the paper, and he had to put how this would further the evolution theory, even though it had nothing to do. He actually covered um, transgenderism and how it was affecting people and things like that, but he had to specify how it was you know, furthering this evolution agenda, even though it had nothing to do with it, and they wouldn't accept his paper. like It wouldn't be peer-reviewed unless he oh. did it this way. Um, so they are very one-track-minded and completely writing out faith, even though, like you said, it it takes faith to believe what they do, too.
1: No doubt. All right. Uh, Bill McG Bill Gothard years ago shared a story about an atheist that went literally to a church camp where he was at and wanted to argue with him the whole time about, that the Bible wasn't true, and after about two days of this, Bill just turned on him and said, "Here's my question: Is that if if the Bible is true, is there anything in your life that you're going to have to quit doing?" And he just looked at him and says, "Well, well, yeah." And he said, "Well, then that's the issue. The issue is not whether or not the Bible is true. The issue is whether or not you want to change, and you obviously don't. So you have to prove the Bible's not true." And you know that, that has pretty well played out in people's lives. You have fine, upstanding Christian people, and then all of a sudden, things change, and then now they don't believe this. They don't—they're you know, deconstructing. Well, what did you start doing about two months ago that you didn't think you would ever do? You know, type thing. All right, uh, the, and and I'm going to tell you that, that this is a, a little bit of a uh, in-your-face response to a particular sportscaster that has. Made it one of his life goals to uh, help to get rid of the expression "What is your Mount Rushmore of?" You know, so in sports, that's a big topic. What's your Mount Rushmore of baseball players? What's your Mount Rushmore of football players? You know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Well, this person doesn't want the sports community or anyone to do that anymore because of the supposed atrocities that our founding fathers have done. And I'm telling you the truth. Mount Rushmore have telling you the truth. And eventually, if, if the sporting community buys into this, eventually they'll be trying to, to mm. concrete, saw off the faces of Mount Rushmore. Mm. So I'm telling you right now, we cannot let that happen. So I want to know what are the Mount Rushmore of scriptures. So if, if scripture had a face, what four scriptures would you put on Mount Rushmore for you? I have a trouble coming up with my favorite, but I can come up with four. You see what I'm saying? Well, see,
0: that's very unfortunate because what I understood from your text is that we would each come up with one, and then and, together and we would make Mount <laughs> Rushmore. That's fine. Let's do that. So I have, well, I don't, I mean, I can just have one face Let's hear it. on my mountain. Um, and that's just 1 Corinthians 10:13, and I have the KJV um, version. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will make the temptation also but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Very no. good.
1: Very good. Ryan, how did you understand it? So I,
3: I, <laughs> I picked four. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, honestly, I expected it to be hard, but it wasn't too bad. Okay. I picked uh, two that deal with coming to salvation and then two with what to do afterwards. Very good. Um, so the first two are, uh, so they said, I just lost it. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. I picked that one because uh, it's, it's just that simple. Just believe Amen. on the Lord and you will be saved. And then the second one kind of plays off of it. It's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And uh, that one kind of furthers the idea in saying that you can't work your way right. towards. It doesn't matter how good you are if you don't have God's uh, saving grace, then it's not good enough. Yeah. so then, the other two for how to live afterwards is uh romans twelve two and do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god that's one that uh comes to mind constantly for me because if i'll be straying from where I should be, and then i'm you know thinking how how do I get back where I need to be and uh, the answer is just be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so I have to renew my mind daily mm uh, and then the final one was Romans 6, 1 through 2. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And that's Great. another one that I have to tell myself constantly. You know, I know God will forgive me. And that's one that comes up with uh, friends and workmates and stuff all the time, too. Uh, you know, the idea of, well, I can just do whatever I want if God's going to forgive me. Then, this is a verse that you can constantly point to and say, no, that's not how it works. You have freedom to do what you want. That's right. But it's not it's not profitable, as another verse says. So.
1: Amen. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Yes. Amen. Yep. Go ahead, Evan.
2: Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, so I, I got four. So so Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. As the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bud and f- make, I'm sorry, make it that bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So is my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Um, That's one of my all-time favorite verses. God's word accomplishes what it's sent for, Mm. regardless of what we do, Mm -hmm. but we should be the bearer of it. We should be bringing it to other people. So when you quote a, a passage of scripture to an individual who doesn't know God and it, it has an application to, to their life, their life will never be the same. God's word never stops until it accomplishes what it was intended for. So, Isaiah 55, 11, and 10, 11, all time favorite. Um, then, of course, Romans eight twenty eight. 28. Um, before we know, uh, I'm going to butcher it. Uh, all things work together for them that are called according to his purpose. Is that right? Yeah. Um, All
1: things work together for them to yeah. that love the Lord and, and are called yeah. according to his purpose. Yeah.
2: Amen. And we know these things are. Right. Uh, so Romans eight twenty eight, and then um, Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 at the end of the chapter. That passage changed my life. The last 10 years of my life have been dedicated to that passage of Scripture. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest law? Mm. and he, he gave them two, and in, in the, when they requested one law, what's the greatest law? He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second one is like it, love thy neighbor as thyself, and that, relating that second law to the first law, it was almost as if it was inextric, inextricably linked to loving God to right. love others, um, and then uh, I know the, the last one's kind of a cop-out, but the Sermon on the Mount would be a really great one. Sure. You, the whole sermon.
1: You're never more like God than when you're loving someone else. And that's
2: and that's a quote from Gavin Hooks. And you're never loving someone else without God feeling it.
1: Right. That's good stuff. So uh, we're going to actually have a face that looks the same on, on my Mount Rushmore, but uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's the verse that God used to help me understand that I was called to preach. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. God used that verse in college to comfort me. Uh, Mark 12, 30, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, that, God used that verse to focus me. And then 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He used that verse to calm. And, um, you know, a lot of people will, will say, well, Brother Ben, you're so easygoing, this, that, and the other. And, of course, Mama's like, well, they don't know, Dad. Uh, you're right, because I'm not. Uh, deep, deep, deep down, I am not an easygoing <laughs> fellow. That's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. But if, I, if I'm not careful, uh, I am extremely excitable. I am extremely anxiety-filled, this, that, and the other. And, but 1 Peter 5-7 has just, you know, back to what Jerry says, uh, you know, either pray or worry. Don't do both. You know, because one cancels out the other. And uh, if you're quoting, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you, you're just going to be calm, you know. Uh, the little girl that, that ran through here a while ago, she came up to me two Sundays ago and says, Brother Ben, how come you never have a bad day? Hmm. I'm like, well, you obviously don't spend enough time with me, Olivia. <laughs> and, uh, but, but that's cool. That's cool that that's what she's catching the reality is, if it wasn't for 1 Peter 5-7, she'd never say anything like that to me. <laughs> so, uh, where are we at? Oh, we're doing good. Go ahead.
0: I'm not going to move us on to the next segment. Yep. So, um, this year, our final segment for each week, when we get to it, is going to be covering the book, This Precarious Moment, Six Urgent Steps That Will Save You, Your Family, and Our Country. This is written by James L. Garlow and David Barton. Um, Now, I don't know much about this book yet, so it's going to be a new experience for me as well as for um, everyone listening. Dad, do you have anything you'd like to say about the book?
1: Well, so, yes, and um, I I know I can do this because Gavin's like me. He's instant in season and out of season. Uh, So we're also doing this study at our 530 time. And um, Gavin offered some high praise of David, uh, and I'd like for you to do that again, Gavin. Um David Barton, even though Jim Garlow was kind of the impetus, and you get that in the introduction, uh, he brought David Barton along pretty quickly because of who David Barton is. Mm-hmm. So give us your...
2: So as I understand it, he was a school teacher mm-hmm. when, when he started his uh, interests. And, th- and this is one of the... I use David Barton as an example for somebody just following your curiosity. It will lead you to wondrous places. Right. He became concerned about public schools when, when he was a teacher, and the one of the court cases went through that, that uh, banned prayer from public school, and he was probably five years into that, and he, he was just curious if he could quantify, quantify changes in public schools since prayer was, was excluded, and he wrote the book, To Pray or Not to Pray, that was the first book that he wrote, and that started his his entire career of exposing the American founding as being almost exclusively Christian. It had other, other influences, but its foundation was solidly on Christianity. Um, many other works that he did included the fact that uh, the most quoted source in the Constitutional Convention and in the early founders' writings was the Bible. So things like that came from this, uh, his first study. He is a world-renowned historian um, he got involved in the textbook manufacturing or printing. Uh, California used to be the, the largest state in the, the, the United States, and what they wanted in their textbooks pretty much is what uh, everybody else got because they had the biggest order. So they would go to the textbook writers, and they would include or exclude historical events based on their preferences. Well, David saw the danger of that and got involved in the textbook um, I guess it's a committee in the state of Texas that that picks textbooks and um, decides what goes in in them. So he got involved in Texas and helped change some of the things that were included in uh, textbooks in uh, the United States. So Texas and California are two big hitters for textbooks. Um, He has probably the largest, I'm pretty sure it's the largest, private ownership of American founding documents. it's in the 100,000 range of uh, the writings of our founders, public- uh, He actually runs a museums. museum. He has a museum. You can get copies of them through his wall builders uh, website. You can get copies of um, books that are no longer that were no longer in print. He's He started printing them again. Um, he has uh, probably the best knowledge of all of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the signers of the uh, Constitution. Um, he, he wrote Just the book,
1: um, Original Intent.
2: Yes, and uh, that that by far is my favorite one of his writings. It's a foundational writing of his and a landmark piece that let the he, he quotes the founders and lets them tell why they did things the way they did. Um, so so he, he lets them speak to the fact that um, they, their Christian belief led them in Uh, informed them and inspired them in the writing of the founding documents and in the setting up of our government here, the early government.
1: One of the most powerful things that you can discover about someone is what do they do after the stardom, if you will? What do they do after they're being famous? What do they do later? I don't know what the percentage is, but several of our founding fathers, after they founded America, they founded Bible societies that wrote Bibles and sent Bibles to foreign lands to evangelize these lands and such. These are our founding fathers. They became fathers of Bible societies. And uh, there there was another... Oh, um, this guy's not popular. (laughs) He's not popular. But uh, the most famous general for the Confederate Army. In his last days, his, he founded a school, and he taught preachers. That's what he did. And uh, now, I, I dare say, especially with hindsight, he would do things a little different, you know, from the Civil War perspective. Um, and, and he certainly, I think, tried to change, you know, uh, the, the direction of his life, you know, afterwards. Um, because no one can deny God was in the victory for the North in America, and it set an entire people group free and and it was the right thing to do and This general of the opposing army didn 't fight that instead he gave his life to the gospel to the propagation of the gospel uh, so all that said uh. This author and Jim Garlow, uh, I think he brings that out in the introduction, that they both started in the, the, the places that they ended are where the, each other started. You know, so Jim Garlow is a teacher now, and Dave, that's where David started. Uh, and Jim started as a historian, and that's where David's at now. Uh, so all that said, um, we're going to be diving into this book. If anybody in our audience or anyone that's listening to this with uh, BethelLondale.com, if you want a copy, let us let us know. We would love for you to go through it. For uh, even though women are not excluded, we do have a women's class four or five thirty time. Uh, the men's class is doing this at five thirty on Sundays. Uh, this precarious moment by James Garlow and David Barton. Uh, Christina had sent in earlier a text. Uh, In His Steps reminds me of what happened at Bethel. So very good to that. In His Steps is one of the greatest books I've ever read. It's where What Would Jesus Do got started, and uh, it's good stuff. So uh, I think we're really close. We moved the platform up on the stage so that if we do run late, the kiddos don't have to go around us and we're not scrambling and all that neat stuff. We've got some new changes coming to this. Please get the word out. Uh, we're we're, we're going to stick with this uh, no matter the crowd that we see here in front of us, uh, and we're going to give our best. Uh, but we are thankful for every one of you that are here tonight, all the hundred of you that showed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are under a hundred. Under a hundred. Uh, we have under really? a hundred tonight. Just, under. Yeah, that's yeah. Not just a line. under a hundred.
0: You're not wrong.
1: <laughs> I had a preacher tell me this. He says, Anytime someone asks you how, much, how many you had at church on the Sunday, you know, previous, just say under a thousand. We had under a thousand. Oh, <gasps> really? Yeah. Yep, yep. How many is you have? Well, we only had 300. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed.
0: Oh, Real fast, I also just want to say we're going to be trying to do a lot more on social media. So if you follow Bethel on Facebook, please keep your eyes open for things posted about BRH. Um, and we're going to hopefully be doing some things like surveys and polls and questions. So there's going to be some interaction for you guys there on Facebook.
1: And next week, we need to give your number out so that they can text you so that you can... Be a little more timely with these texts. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for every person gathered here. We ask your richest blessings upon them. We pray that you would bless Owana uh, for your glory. In Jesus' precious and holy name we ask it. Amen.